call. Uh, Terry is, uh, he called me or he texted me, I think, uh, Monday and said that his flight were flights were delayed and he knew he wasn't going to make it. So could I sub for him? And I said, yes, I would be happy to. So you're stuck with me tonight. <laughs> you're stuck with me. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, we're going to have um, part of uh, Fundamentals of Faith is really being able to um, hopefully get to the point where you can articulate the gospel. Why is that important? Well, it's important to know the gospel because without knowing the gospel, you don't know whether you're in heaven or not, right? That's, that the gospel is everything. And we have Satan who is prowling about like a roaring lion, and what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to pervert the gospel, twist and change the gospel, and tweak it just enough so it isn't the gospel. So tonight, uh, with the Lord's help, and with the Holy Spirit's intervention, and with the Word of God, we are going to walk through a gospel presentation there are many different ways to present the gospel. Tonight we're going to go, be going through, uh, it's called discipleship evangelism. It is uh, a form of, uh, um, ev uh, of James D. Kennedy's evangelism explosion, which many years ago, Grace Community Church in Southern California, John MacArthur's church, they've adapted that evangelism explosion and made it kind of into their own. So we are going to walk through just uh, this one way to present the gospel. Um, it's been very impactful in my life, and it's one that we actually use here at Grace Bible when we go out and call on visitors to come in the church. So let's start. <clears throat> We're going to open up with a word of prayer and um, then we'll dig right in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in each one of our hearts to uh, teach us, to teach us truth from your word. Father, we pray that as we walk through a, a gospel presentation that it uh, would really resonate in each of our hearts and souls, that we could each uh, affirm the truths that are here and each uh, could be thankful for the salvation that uh, we each enjoy here. Father, thank you for um, this uh, evening. Thank you, Father, for you sovereignly bringing each one that is in this room uh, to to this place to where uh, your word can be taught and hopefully you can be glorified. We pray all these things in your son's Jesus name. Amen. We're going to start looking at Matthew chapter 7 and you might wonder well why are we going there? Well Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount he talks about um, the, the, 
the false prophets, the false teachers. And he talks pretty, um, pretty plainly in Matthew 7. And he talks about uh, how do you know uh, a false prophet from a true prophet? Well, in verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. He goes on and says uh, more about um, fruit, good fruit does not come from uh, bad trees and bad fruit doesn't come from good trees. But I want to focus in on verse 20. It says, so then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Quite frankly, this little section right here are really three of the um, most terrifying verses in, in all of Scripture. Why do I say that? Well, you have people who are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Lord, Lord. They're addressing him properly. They're coming to Jesus with their list of things that they have done for Jesus. Okay? They have three things here, right? Did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. So they come to Jesus with the proper address. They come to, the, to Jesus with all their works that they've done for Jesus. But what's the problem? Houston, we have a problem, right? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you is what Jesus says. So the, the point here is not that you saying you know Jesus matters because these people all say they know Jesus. The, the question is, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know me? Right? Because if he doesn't know you or me, then it's depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So if he doesn't know me, then everything I do doesn't matter, right? It's all worthless, wood, hay, and stubble. So as we go through this tonight, why is Grant digging into these, this section of Scripture? Well, it's really important that, that we know how to know Jesus and that he knows us, right? That's super important that he knows who we are. So as we go through this, let's be really clear in each of our minds and hearts and souls what it means, what salvation means, what gospel means, and how we have applied it 
to our own personal lives. So we're going to walk through this whole testimony, and I want each of you to really be thinking through, does Jesus Christ know me? We know that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, right? Jeremiah 17, 9. Above all, above all, all else, right? We also know John 8, 44. John 8, 44. He, that Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever he's, whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan wants to twist, distort, water down the gospel. Okay? So, as we go through this presentation, that is what I want to make crystal clear, is what the Word of God says, how one comes to know Jesus, and as importantly, how does Jesus come to know us? Okay? So, first thing uh, we, we, we mentioned there, that's by way of introduction. When I have in your handouts, I have kind of their secular life. When we go out and visit people, we like to find out what they do. And so we, we ask them kind of, what do you do for a living? Okay, that's kind of how we get to know people. I'm pulling back the curtain here a little bit on our discipleship evangelism uh, section of our church where we go out and visit we also ask them and I would ask each of you and everybody has a uh, a history here uh, a past uh, a journey if you will we always ask what were you were you raised in the church have you grown up in the church what church did you grow up in you know what what was your uh, you know church involvement in the past and you know were you super involved and in what uh, what denomination or what variety so to speak what flavor of church did you go to you know we just like to ask and that gives us a little bit of of history if you will on where this person may be so we also like to talk about um, our church Grace Bible Church and we lead into this with uh, visiting with them about just that we live in uncertain times. And we really live in uncertain times. You know, if you want to truly get uh, worried and concerned about the world, just watch the news one evening, right? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it can be scary if we keep our eyes horizontally, right? You know, the world is not falling out of place. It's falling into place. Perfect place. Perfectly where God wants it to be. So, but we live in certain times. People today are looking for something certain. At Grace Bible Church, we have decided to stick to the basic, essential facts in the Bible. For it is only through these facts that one can know that you have eternal life. And so, you know, the vast majority of people don't know for certain what would happen to them 
if they were to die today. So, we're in a big group, but I'll just throw out the question. And I always ask, may I ask you a question? And the question number one is, and it's in your notes, have you come to the place in your own spiritual life where you can say for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? That's a question each of you need to be asking. So as I walk through this this evening, you know, there's maybe 20 or 25 people, 30 people here, whatever. Just be answering these questions in, the, in your privacy of your own heart and soul. When we go and visit people, we ask them that. Most, maybe 90% or more, because we live in the Bible, kind of a, still it's a Bible belt area. Most people say yes. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, that's good. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5:13, I have written these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, so that's great. May I ask you another question? And the second question is, is really the, uh, if you will, the, I don't want to say the real question, but it's the one that really lets, lets you know where someone's at. So suppose you were to die today and stand before the living God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your response? So, each of you in the privacy of your own heart and mind and soul, maybe you'll say, well, God, you should let me into heaven because I go to Grace Bible Church. Okay? All right. Susan, you, and I'll repeat that. You think God should let you into heaven because you go to Grace Bible Church. Okay. There are many people that believe the same thing. Okay? There are. So, you just, you want to basically repeat whatever the person says to you. You want to affirm that that's the way they think they could go to heaven. That's how they could go to heaven, that they go to Grace Bible Church. It's just an illustration, okay, but I'm, I'm using it, okay? So, I'm talking to Sue. Sue, you think you can go to heaven by going to Grace Bible Church? Okay. She goes, yes, okay. Well, that's interesting because a lot of people think the same way. Many people feel the same way you do about that. And then I ask the question, may I share with you what I have learned from the Bible about eternal life? I have yet to have anybody say, no, Grant, I don't want you sharing what you've learned about what the Bible says about eternal life. I haven't anybody turned me down on that yet. So we start to go through the the gospel and we start out by talking about um, you know many people wonder some people wonder whether or not they would go to heaven if they were to die well through a study of the scriptures I came to realize that according to the Bible heaven is a free gift Heaven is a free gift. There is no way that I can earn my way to heaven. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Romans 6, 23. The Bible also says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So it would be kind of like this, and we have an illustration where if I were to, say if I were to take my watch off and give it to Bill there, and Bill would say, Grant, well, that's a, that's a nice watch. Um, let, me, let me at least wash your truck for it. Okay, would that still be considered a gift if, if I let Bill go and wash my vehicle for the watch? No, it wouldn't be a gift, right? The very nature of a gift is if I give Bill the watch, he says, thank you, goes on his merry way, right? If he does anything to pay me for that, washes my truck or takes me out for dinner or throws five bucks my way, would that still be a gift? No, because he's paid me for it, right? Well, this can be seen more clearly when we understand what the Bible says about man. But let me back up there. What does it say in Titus 3, 5? It says what? He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in our righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So, realize this. Heaven is a free gift. First point. And, you know, this can be seen, you know, more clearly when we understand what the Bible says about man. Now, the Bible points out that man is a sinner. In your opinion, what is sin? Anybody can throw out a, what is sin? Rebellion. Absolutely. Rebellion against who? God. His word. Disobeying the Ten Commandments, right? When, uh, when Jesus was here on the earth, he said you can sin in what? Thought, word, and deed. And Jesus said you can sin with just looking at a woman and lusting after her. You have done what? You've committed adultery in your heart, right? If you hate your brother, you're what? You're a murderer. You have murdered him in your heart. James 4.17 says what? says, to him who know the right, knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. So we can sin in thought, we can sin in word, in deed, and we can sin by not doing what we know we should do. Wow. We are full of sin, right? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 6, 23, 3.23, sorry. Romans 3.23. Also, Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. We are full of sin. The Bible says that man cannot consistently do good. We cannot save ourselves. Can't do it. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The, um, the illustration they have is, let's just say um, 
let's just say Grant, maybe I only sin 10 times a day. Well, let's say I'm really a good person. I only sin maybe five or just say three times a day. Man, if I only sin three times a day, that would be pretty amazing. But let's, let's think about it. Grant sins three times a day times 365. That's about a thousand over a thousand violations of, of the holiness of God a year. And I'm um, 61, I think. That's, that's some 60,000 violations. So I'm going to go before God with 60,000 violations and say I'm a good person. Hmm. I'm going to say I plead for mercy. Well, man is a sinner. So, man cannot save himself from spiritual death. So the problem of man trying to save himself comes into sharper focus when we look at what the Bible says about God. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, right? God is a loving and merciful God. He doesn't want to punish us. But while God is loving, he is also holy and just and therefore must punish sinners. Scripture says God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Exodus 34, 7. Exodus 34, 7. How about Hebrews 10, 31? It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This seems to present a problem, right? How does a loving and merciful God punish sin? You know, the, the illustration is uh, one illustration that we use sometimes too. It's really, let's just say, um, suppose someone were to burglarize your home of let's just say $5,000 or $5,000 worth of your possessions. The police caught him, caught him in the act, and together with other eyewitnesses identified him as the culprit. So when the burglar is brought before the court, the judge asks, how do you plead? The burglar is guilty and the evidence is undeniable. So he responds, I am guilty, your honor. The judge then sentences him to five years in prison for burglary. Suppose the burglar had said, Judge, I am very sorry that I burglarized that home. You have the possessions back and no one was hurt. I promise that I will never rob another home if you'll just let me go. Would the judge be just if he let him go? He had... He has a standard of justice that must be satisfied. If judges let burglars off simply because they were sorry and promised not to do, to rob any more homes, there would not be a home in the land that would be safe, right? God's justice is perfect. Therefore, God is much more just than any human judge. So we have a problem. How does a loving and merciful God punish sin? Well, 
God solved this problem in the most amazing way by sending Jesus Christ into the world. Again, in your opinion, you guys, we've all been in the fundamentals of the faith class, so in your opinion, who is Jesus Christ? Each of you need to answer that in your own, the quietness of your own hearts, who is Jesus Christ? Because you have to have the right Jesus Christ, right? This is not the Jesus Christ of the Mormon church, okay? The Bible tells us that in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Christ, the Christ of the Bible, very God of very God, is both God and man. What did he come to do? He came to redeem man, didn't he? That is, the whole Bible is about one big transaction, if you will, right? One big transaction that Christ performed on our behalf. From Genesis to Revelation. Imagine, imagine, say that this book right here contains, say, every record of our sins in our lives. It's, a, it's just a record. I'm just using this book as an illustration. I can grab any book. Anyway, it has my, my right, right hand here. This book represents every sin that I have committed in my life. All of this is on me. All of this sin is on me. I am weighed down this heavy burden that holds me down so that I cannot enter into a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't. Why? Because I have all my sin that is weighing me down. I cannot have a perfect relationship with God because of all my sin. My left hand represents Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all to fall on him. All of my sin has fallen on Christ. Isaiah 53, 6, right? God put our sins on his son when he died on the cross. That's how I can now enter into a relationship with God. God put our sins, he put my sins on Jesus Christ. The gospel in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God through him. That's the gospel. That's just what I'm talking about right there. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ through him. Okay? 
another another just phenomenal illustration is the Viking king illustration. And when when the the Vikings terrorized the seas, there there arose among them a great leader. He was a wise, strong, just leader, and he cared for his people. Early in his reign, someone began stealing from the treasury. The king made a decree throughout the nation that the person caught stealing would receive ten lashes. No one was caught. So the king put forth a second decree for twenty lashes. Again, no one confessed, nor was anyone caught. Finally, the king put forth a decree of 50 lashes for the person responsible for the thefts. 50 lashes was a very harsh punishment that no one had ever been given, and there was considerable doubt as to whether anyone could survive such a punishment. They finally caught the guilty person. And you know who it was? It was the Viking king's mother. Now the king loved his mother very much and was deeply grieved over her actions. However, he was also a just king who knew evil must be punished. The king faced an apparently unsolvable contradiction. Would his love allow his mother to go free or his justice allow the lashes which would mean almost certain death for her the entire nation came to see what their king would do the king ordered his mother tied to the stake in front of everyone and just before the first lash was given the king stepped behind his mother and took the lashes on his own back. Therefore, he satisfied his love for his mother by protecting her from the punishment that she deserved. And his justice, which demanded the sentence be carried out against the guilty party. In this same way, God has satisfied his love for us personally and his justice by sending his son Jesus Jesus Christ into the world to pay the, the price for our sins and to demonstrate God's love for us that's what Christ has done for you and for me so This sacrifice of Christ, it makes it possible for us to be free from the load, the burden of our sin, and the guilt of our sin. This leads us, though, into um, the last section. By his death, he paid for our sins and purchased a place in heaven for us which he offers as a gift that gift is received by faith by faith 
Now, many people, many people don't really understand what the Bible means by faith. Some have what I call temporal faith. Well, what's temporal faith? Well, temporal faith is temporary faith. It would be like um, Aunt, Aunt Martha is in the hospital and has a disease or is having a surgery and they are driven to their knees to pray for, for Aunt Martha. Or someone has a, a plane flight that they're needing prayer on so they go to their knees and pray for, they have faith during that crisis, during that time and that moment of, of, of need, apparent need in their part. It's temporary faith. Or maybe you have a big test tomorrow and you want God to help you so you go to your knees and ask for prayer. For You pray and you ask for help. Temporary. It's temporal. It's here at the moment of crisis and what happens when there's no longer a moment of crisis? You're off your knees and you're going about your merry way. Temporal faith, temporary faith, let me be clear, is not saving faith, okay? Not saving faith. Others believe um, they have what we call an intellectual faith. Um, they believe that Christ died and rose again and they think that, that that's faith. In other words, they have belief in the facts of Jesus and what does the Bible say in James 2.19? The demons believe and they do what? Shudder. Why do they shudder? Well, they believe. They have an intellectual faith, if you will, belief. But they shudder because they're in complete rebellion to God, right? And they know that their end is the lake of fire for all eternity. So the intellectual faith, again, is not saving faith right so we've talked about a temporal faith we've talked about an intellectual faith uh, there was a there was a guy by the name of Blogden and he uh, he was a tight tightrope walker came over here from from Europe about the turn of the century not the, the 21st century but the 20th century they put a tightrope across Niagara Falls has anybody been to Niagara Falls? A uh, lot of water, a lot of a lot of noise. Very dramatic, very dangerous. He put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Went across on on with his tightrope. Went across, came back. A crowd is forming. Okay gets a wheelbarrow and he with the wheelbarrow pushes it across pushes it back crowd is going crazy now I mean just like he's got everybody's attention he puts 200 pounds of gravel in the wheelbarrow does the same thing comes back crowd is obviously just fixated and he goes how many of you believe 
I can put a man in that wheelbarrow. Push him across and come back. Well, they all raise their hand. They just saw him do it three times. The last time with 200 pounds of gravel in the wheelbarrow. May I have my first volunteer? Boom. They all had temporal faith. They temporarily believed in him. They all had intellectual faith. They saw him with their own eyes, 200 pounds back and forth. But did they have saving faith? No. Why? They were not going to risk their lives in that wheelbarrow. Right? They weren't going to do it. Uh, Bill, I'm behind you all the way. Go for it, Bill. I have faith in Bill to go, go for it. That doesn't get me to heaven, does it? When, when Jesus Christ came on earth, what did he say? If you want to be a disciple of mine, number one, deny yourself. Number two, pick up your cross daily. Number three, follow me. What, what, when Jesus was here, a cross wasn't a piece of jewelry that you wear on your neck. It wasn't something cool to have tatted on your arm. A cross, when Jesus walked, was the most heinous, torturous, painful, humiliating, shameful way a person dies. When you're carrying your cross, you are a dead man walking. And you're going to go through literally hours, or you may hang there for days. And pain beyond pain. Shame beyond shame. So when Jesus said, if you want to be his disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, follow me. Everybody listening to him back then knew exactly that you were dying to self. They knew exactly what he was asking for. He wasn't asking for mental assent. He wasn't asking for intellectual affirmation. He wasn't asking for temporarily believing in him. He was asking for you to get in the wheelbarrow. Dying to self. That's what saving faith is. It is getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting Jesus Christ with your life. That's what genuine saving faith is. There are two features of true faith that we need to understand. Two features. True faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. The key word, of course, all of those are key words, but you can't miss alone. It's not Jesus Christ plus going to Grace Bible Church or Jesus Christ plus what I give in the offering plate, or Jesus Christ plus me helping a little old lady across the street. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything. It's 
trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's number one. The second feature of true saving faith is the desire to obey him. It's important for you to understand that your commitment to Christ is not just an intellectual assent. It's not just an intellectual, yes, I believe the facts. Jesus, you're God, a very God, and you're man. You came, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross. I believe that. I'm good. No. Yes, yes, you're good. Your life will demonstrate then, right? Your life will demonstrate then your last aspect, which is a desire to obey him. You're saved at that point. When you have the belief, when you accept the, the gift of faith that God has given you, and you believe, you're saved. You demonstrate that salvation by doing what? Denying yourself picking up your cross daily and following him that's going to have an effect on your life right remember when we started out remember when we started out we started reading and I kind of skipped over it but I think it might be helpful for us to maybe go back Matthew chapter 7 we started out there I skipped over a few sections because, you know, anything that Grant says up here, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, just forget it, okay? Just get rid of it. If anything I say, though, that does line up with Scripture, believe the Scripture, okay? Because Jesus said, so you will know them by their fruit, chapter 7, verse 16 of Matthew Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. So, the two features of true faith that we really need to understand is trusting in Jesus alone for salvation and number two, true faith will involve a desire to obey him. I'm not talking about obeying in perfection, okay? We're, we're not going to walk in perfection, but a desire to do the right thing desire to obey true faith true faith is simply the hand that received God's gift free gift of eternal life does this make sense to you does this does this make sense remember and just to transition them back and if you're in a conversation with someone that you love dearly or someone that you just met off the street, the key is, I know this is kind of a, 
a cliche that they don't they don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care you know you need to be caring and loving this person and your heart needs to be very empathetic for them because before Christ came into my heart and life and soul I was the same way I had the same false beliefs I had the same misconceptions of God I had the same elevated opinion of my goodness so remember when when we ask you the question and I'm talking to Sue now I've just walked Sue through a half hour of, of the gospel. And I say, Sue, remember when I asked you about if you were to stand before God and die tonight and stand before God and ask him why he should let you into his heaven. And remember, Sue, you told me because you go to Grace Bible Church. Do you understand, Sue, why God would not let you into heaven with that reason? Okay. Do you understand that we cannot enter heaven on the basis of what we have done? Going to Grace Bible Church, Grace Community Church, or any other solid Bible church will not get you to heaven. Do you all understand that? I hope you do. Terry's been teaching for the last you know four months three months and certainly you understand it's not what we do right so clarification if a person wanted to receive God's gift of eternal life here is say five five things that you can think about doing Number one, acknowledging Christ as God and Savior. Christ, Jesus Christ of the Bible, is God and Savior. You would believe, you have to believe, that Jesus is God and man. You have to believe that. And that he died on the cross for our sins so that he could have a personal relationship with each one of us. That, that's an absolute essential, right? Recognizing Christ as Lord and Master over, over your life, realizing that because of Christ's great love, he will guide our lives better than we're able to. Christ will be able to do it better than we are able to, right? Christ stand, he says in the, in the Bible, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, o- and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. So, these are things that a person, in order to receive eternal life, they have to have clear, Right? How about turning from your former life of disobedience and following after Christ? That's going to be a result of accepting and receiving Christ 
you're going to turn from your former life of disobedience and you're going to follow after Christ right just just like it says in Matthew chapter 7 good fruit doesn't come from bad trees bad fruit doesn't come from good trees you're going to exemplify fruit and then transferring your trust from yourself to Christ you're no longer going to trust in yourself you're going to trust in Christ and then receiving Christ into our life so those are the things that are really really important to be able to hold on to then you're going to have hopefully some assurance of salvation some assurance of salvation you know if you truly have believed the word of God God's word assures you of your salvation why do I say that well John 6 47 John 6 47 says truly truly I say to you he who believes has eternal life you have the assurance when you have truly believed the Holy Spirit gives you that assurance that you have eternal life you can know it if you have trusted if you have received the gift of faith and have trusted in Jesus Christ you are given that assurance how about Psalm 103 verse 12 as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us there will be a freeing up of that burden of sin we no longer remember the illustration we our our sin has been transferred Isaiah 53 6 transferred to Jesus Christ about 1st John 5 11 and 12 it says and the witness is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has a son has life he who does not have the son does not have the life do you have the son so how about another verse that, that really drives home some assurance of salvation 2nd Corinthians 5 17 therefore if any man is in Christ he is what he is a new creature the old things have passed away behold new things have come wow you're a new creation in Christ again assurance last one being Romans 6 17 and 18 but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness if you truly have the son you will obey the son as I said not perfectly this side of heaven there's only been one that's been perfect right that's who they nailed to the cross and that's who we believe in
So I've kind of walked you all through a gospel presentation. I wanted to open it up. Uh, questions, comments, thoughts. We, we go out and we visit a lot of people and we get a lot of different responses and it's, it's really important to um, be gentle be kind be loving it's also sometimes delicate because you have to when you ask the first question or two sometimes we get back a response of of works right well I'm going to give God the response of why he should let me into my heaven because of something I did work I I'm a good person right so thoughts I left some time for discussion. If we don't have any, that's fine. Um, you've all got a challenge ahead of you to go share share the gospel. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and gentle, but be clear. So, all right. Well, I'll close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have given us your word to guide us, direct us, and to um, and you've given us your living word, and that is uh, Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you for salvation through Christ and him alone. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, your Holy Spirit uh, will have taken it and just penetrate our hearts deeply with it, Lord. May we each be convicted to uh, share the truth of the gospel, to uh, be a light and a witness to those we work with, to those we live next to, and to those we come in contact with. May they see Christ in us. And may they uh, want to know why. Uh, may we have an answer. And that answer is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. So I pray for each one in this room that we would go forth and share the good news with everyone we come in contact with. May we do so because we love you. Because you first loved us. And may we uh, be a light and a testimony of your grace. We pray these things in your son's Jesus' name. Amen.